Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And uh, I am your co-host, Mike. I, if you don't know us, this is a podcast about <laughs> people in Columbus. Tim laughs at me and Josh makes it. jokes. I love it. Yeah, dude. Happy to be here. I was not on this episode. I do not believe, unfortunately, but I have had the great opportunity to speak with our guest a few times before we had the episode. And he is uh, definitely a unique person from his energy level to his intelligence and his ideas and uh just a cool guy to talk to. So I'm assuming you guys, I'm assuming the episode went pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And for those of you who don't know, if you haven't read the title of this episode, it's Chris Hawker. Yeah. And he is the founder of Ohm Systems. And that's that's how he said it in the episode. It's O-M, but it, Ohm. And yeah, just a really interesting guy. And uh, really enjoyed the conversation. He like started a business selling fish at some point in his career? Yeah, so I I had the unique opportunity of, I've known Chris for a very long time, actually, and he he's an inventor, mm-hmm. and he had a product called the, the Power Squid, which mm-hmm. which if you've ever used a one of these, what are these called, extension cables? Extension cord, where yeah. Where you plug your cords cord. into, yep. you made it so they were separate and you could reach it. Yeah, because it's a pain in the butt when you plug them in all next to each other and you can't plug exactly. them all Exactly, and you know a good, des- a, a good invention when you're like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that, or mm-hmm. that was so simple. And so that was one of the things. Um, he's obviously been an uh, entrepreneur his whole life, but he invented a thing to clean fish tanks when yep. he was a kid. So I, I resonated with him when I first met him about, you know, hustling as a kid, mm-hmm. but never did I have the innovation to create a magnetic Power cleaner square. for the inside oh, yeah. <laughs> of a fish tank. Right. Um, but anyways, right. yeah. So he's got, he's got a new project, definitely in a different direction than, than his, his background of, of, uh, inventions. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see, to see he's still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, again, great conversation. And, uh, for anybody out there that wants to be an entrepreneur and wants to hear what entrepreneur's lifestyle is like, then Chris is a great yeah, example. A good one. And, uh, you know, as usual, we hope you enjoy this episode and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 or 7365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike, and uh, this is another episode where Josh is in South Africa. So Tim's here with me, though, in the booth. Tim, what's going on? Still very jealous of that trip. I know. I know. I had a trip booked for South Africa for my birthday once and I had to cancel it and and I have not made it back since. So I'm kind of kind of bummed about that. I think he made a stop somewhere in the Middle East. Doha, yeah, in Qatar. Yeah, Qatar, yeah, that's, he was in Qatar. A, that's a very popular He was very concerned about going layover. to Qatar, and I was like, no, but Qatar's like the wealthiest place yeah, in he, the world. I don't think he left the airport either, so he's <laughs> yeah, fine. But regardless- Outside um, of Josh's travels. Right, outside of Josh's travels, everything's going good, but uh, I want to take a moment and we'll introduce our guest for today, and that is 
Mr. Chris Hawker, and Chris is the CEO of Ohm Systems. And Ohm Systems is a software tool designed to help teams get back to work by tracking and managing COVID-19 outbreaks, as well as other types of infectious disease. But Ohm Systems has grown outside of that after you know that being their initial idea and initial thought behind it. So Chris is also a co-founder of Next Level Trainings and CEO of Trident Invents. And he went to college at The Ohio State University, currently lives here in Columbus. We're excited to have Chris on the show to talk about his story and Ohm systems. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. Thanks for having me. You have to say it like that. Yeah, yeah. Before we were, yeah, yeah, exactly. We were getting ready for the show and Chris said, no, 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 it's Ohm systems. It creates peace of mind. That's right. We're getting real peaceful up in here. But typically one of the first places, Chris, we like to start is just get to know a little more about your background, really the highlights along the way of how you kind of got into entrepreneurship. And that can start as far back as childhood for some, but wherever you want to start out. So I've been an entrepreneur since a, a young age. I started when I was 13. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of socially outcast, but I, my friends were birds. I have very supportive parents, and I started an aviary in my bedroom. And when I was 13, I started breeding and selling. Very supportive yeah, parents. Yeah, very, very. I was a very nerdy <laughs> kid. with. I had uh, seven species of exotic birds I was breeding and selling out of my bedroom. I had lovebirds and canaries and miniature Egyptian quail. Want to know something crazy? When I was in middle school, I was, and this is, oh man, this is probably the nerdiest thing I'll ever <laughs> have shared. And Tim will never let me let, let it down. But in sixth grade, I was part of a bird club oh. at Bread Parakeets. Oh, yeah. Which I, is pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah. But uh, I was socially- you know I never let you down? Completely socially <laughs> isolated for all of sixth grade. But I enjoyed breeding the parakeets. Yeah. Very well, interesting experience. Yeah. I had a speech impediment and I was, you mm-hmm. know, kind of outcasty. And so I, you know, but I got really passionate and into my pets mm-hmm. and then I got into fish. Um, so I was like breeding these birds and I, what am I going to do with all these babies? So I started selling them to collectors and pet shops and zoos ultimately. And you um, can probably sell them for pretty decent money. I would yeah. Imagine. Well, I was like, you know, 13 years old making, you know, 50 bucks a pop for uh, Dutch blue lovebird chicks. Mm-hmm. That's so, like a million dollars when you're that. Yeah. Young. You no, can I was like, everything. Yeah, like, what do you need that's more than $50 <laughs> yeah. when you're 13? I was rich compared to my friends. They were yeah. like, oh my God. That's awesome. And, uh, and then- I, when I was 16, I got, I had aquariums and I got a job at a fish store and they didn't have a maintenance business and people kept asking. So I said, well, I'll, I'll do it. And so I started an aquarium maintenance business operating out of the fish store where I was working with a very supportive boss and got into uh, aquarium maintenance, the fish man. So I was mm-hmm. the bird man and the fish man. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, started having ideas to improve the filters of my clients you know, I was like seeing ideas. And so I, I literally got into the yellow pages. That was this old fashioned thing. People it was like a book and you would leaf <laughs> through it and find phone numbers and you would look things up. And I found someone who made things out of acrylic. And I hired this gentleman using my money from selling birds and my maintenance business to teach me how to make things out of acrylic. And he then in his shop, and then he would help me build my filters, which I would sell to my clients. So mm-hmm. a very go-gettery uh, young man with a lot of nerdy passions. And and I discovered I had a knack and a passion for problem solving. Like I was really good at art and thought when I was younger, maybe I would uh, be an artist when I grew up. But then I discovered I could use my art skills to solve problems. And that was that really hooked me. Mm-hmm. My, my father was an engineer, so I kind of had that in my blood. And growing up, my father was one of my early, you know, he's one of my ongoing mentors, but he was a uh, very, very successful guy. And then, you know, but always had a boss. I was like, well, why aren't you the boss? And he said, well, I'm the boss of a lot of people, but he always had a boss. He said, you should be the boss yourself. And I said, okay, I'm going to be the boss myself. And so I determined at, you know, a young age, I was never going to have a job. And I discovered I had this knack and passion for problem solving mechanically through my aquarium filters. Then as I went to the Ohio State University, mm-hmm. I grew up in Northwest Ohio in Perrysburg, outside of Toledo. Peaburg, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
which had a formative impact on me. Because mm-hmm. uh, little known fact, but Perrysburg is also home to a large traditional mosque, which you see if you drive by the highway. And I could see this mosque from my front yard. And so it really impacted me at a young age, even though I grew up in kind of like this very small town, Ohio, to the world. Like I was very present to the big world and other religions and other cultures because of this and ended up getting a degree in comparative religion from Ohio State. That was like my passion. And I was already in business selling aquarium stuff all through college. And then when I graduated with my comparative religion degree, I went to guitar building school and learned to become a guitar builder. I was just like following my nerdy passions still, and then came back to Ohio to start my my invention company, Trident. Now developing aquarium products, guitar accessories. Mm -hmm. And then I got into cooking gadgets and just one thing led to another. And that was how I really got started as an entrepreneur with a company and employees was building out this company to develop my own ideas. Then pretty soon I started helping other people with theirs. I mean, people talk about chasing your passions all the time. I mean, this is, talk about a story of chasing your passions. Like just, you know, I'm interested in this. Let me go do this. I'm going to go do this. And then it just kind of all comes together. I love how it all comes together and try to advance. You're like, yeah, we do aquariums and guitar accessories and cooking stuff. And it's like just everything, a little bit of everything. Well, basically anything that interests me, which, and I'm just very curious about Mm -hmm. many things and, uh, and I don't dabble much. You know, if I dabble, I go deep. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level. And Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Random, random question. Going back to what something that came up earlier, Yellow Pages. What do you think the youngest person is that still knows what a Yellow Pages is? Like actually has seen one. 30. 30? I've seen one. I'm 28. Oh. I, we had them around when I was a kid. I think it depends on how you were raised too. That's also true. You know, my That's parents are extremely old school. So yeah. I think my friend and I had a conversation about this the other day and it's really interesting. My age group, and I think it, it stretches a little bit older and younger, mm-hmm. but we we lived through, like literally grew up with no cell phone, no internet dial up to like NASA in our pockets. So as mm-hmm. my parents had a lo- large part of their life without technology and now they're using it and they're getting better at it, but they didn't grow up with it. And then my youngest siblings and younger kids, they just always had phones. So we, right. I think we went through like a hundred years of development in like my teens. <laughs> right. so and we I feel, constantly had to adapt to new stuff. And so I feel like comfortable with CDs and tapes and, you know, records mm-hmm. growing up as part of my youth. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and my dad had an eight track in his car and that wasn't like, oh, this old technology it was like pop one in. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I know how to work a Bluetooth in my, you know. My parents are like, ah, this thing. So <laughs> it's interesting. I feel I feel very fortunate to have. Well, there's a reason we they call us millennials. <laughs> we we, we experienced a lot. I know that's kind of off the topic, but I think well, I, I think it was there's a lot of opportunity for adoption, and then like. Like with Bitcoin and, and NFTs now, I'm feeling like kind of the old man with NFTs. Yeah, I'm like, no, oh, these like, stupid <laughs> things. But I, I always complained about I wasn't old enough or old enough to to capitalize off the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a friend who was a domain pirate, and and before it was illegal, and he like bought and sold big companies their own names. Oh back. wow! Bought a BMW out of it when when I was like pretty young, and you I know, sold a few domains. Mm-hmm. And I have somebody trying to sell me my Not name pirating, right now. Though, just, <laughs> right. Well, he literally bought like the dispatch.com or oh. something like that and like sold it to, or New York Times or whatever and made like a ton. But anyways. Well, well to your point, you know, because the yellow pages to today and, you know, my role is an innovator and always has been everything I've done. It's like I always 
see what's missing, Mm -hmm. you know, what could be. And then that's kind of been my pursuit is like, okay, well, I see what could be. And then, you know, went down that path. And when I was younger, it was the yellow pages was the tool that I used. And today we have much more powerful tools. And there's some benefit from having grown up with such relatively poor tools as the yellow pages, but those were infinitely better than the tools of Mm -hmm. our parents' ages. So Mm -hmm. like, it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. But I also have a certain, you know, I'd had to develop this certain, uh, capacity and willingness to reach out across gaps in order to access information that wasn't readily available. And then today, that's a skill that continues to serve me today is like, well, I'm willing to go out and grab new information that's even if it's not readily available in order to pursue the things I'm interested in. And watching the Yellow Pages evolve as they have been has also been part of my own journey because growing up, I was mostly focused inward on my own passions and hobbies. The other thing was reading science fiction books, which I still do like every, every day, pretty What's much. favorite author? Uh, Dan Simmons. Dan Simmons. I haven't read it. Have you read Brandon Sanderson at all? I have. Yeah. I've read I some, love yeah, Brandon yeah. Sanderson's books. I'm Ted a big, Williams. Big fan. Ted. I have not. I mean, now you get, okay. You said Dan Simmons and Ted Williams. Tad. Tad. Tad Williams. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to check right. them out. Oh man. Hyperion Cantos by Dan Simmons is the bomb. It's the most huge world creating eon millennial spanning creative imagination someone whose mind is so vast and reading science fiction as a kid always expanded my mind to like just thinking outside of the box Mm -hmm. and i just became at a young age i wanted to be like one of the people designing that future i was like well the future is not happening on its own it's like people making that up i want to be one of the people making it up in part because i was having ideas like i had ideas for aquarium filters but i also had ideas for like the world Mm-hmm. and the gumption or audacity to think that my ideas ought to exist or be put into action. So I would you know, have the ideas, then I'd push them forward, whether it was a bird cage, an aquarium thing, or, or whatever. So it's been a, a fun journey of just having ideas and seeing them into fruition. Blake Crouch is another one. He did Dark Matter in a book called Recursion. They're very science fiction, but like near future. Mm-hmm. Incredible stuff. Feel so like that. are you going to build the first Dyson Sphere? <laughs> do you know what a Dyson sphere is? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's 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 me. I figured you would. If you're I, do, I do like onion goggles. Onion know, goggles, so you don't cry when you chop onions. I remember those. I was, I was around for some of those. Yeah, yeah, so I like, still use. Chris invented this thing called the Power Squid, and I, I was wondering if you're going to bring it up. But it's a extension cable. You know how you have where you plug in. I know the Power Squid. I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I've seen I, that. I still use it all the time, but it just separated the. Because you know, if you're trying to plug too many things yeah. in, the little it's power a pain strip in the butt separates them. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt when you're behind the TV box and you're trying to get yeah. it hooked it's in. It's much easier to plug and unplug. Right. Yeah. yeah so it makes a lot. So there's an interesting story too. So the Power Squid was a product I invented in 2000. Yeah, that's a while um, ago. Yeah, and the, the patent expires this June. And I also got a trademark on it, speaking of names. And so it's been in, it's been on the market actually and came out in 2005, won the Consumer Electronics Show Best of Innovations Award in 2006 and had a great run. You know, it's a, a shadow of what it once was, but its patent expires this June and the trademark is, all, is still live. But on the note of like selling names and domains, I just got reached out to by a major electronics manufacturer who's like, we see your patents expiring. You still got this trademark. And they offered me, you know, a, a nice little five figure sum for this. Oh, to buy this the trademark buy that you probably product. don't use nice. much anymore. Anyways. Right. Well, it's it's like a nice trophy item, but I'm right, not right. doing anything with it. My yeah. wife's like, that'd be a very nice new sofa. And then you come yeah. back <laughs> and then you come out with a competing option called the Power Octopus. No, yeah, I'm not to software now. That's, you know, right. that's, that's, you know, where I've headed now is like with Ohm system mm-hmm. is I've been innovating 
on product for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, along the way, I've you know dabbled in software opportunities, websites and things like that, e-commerce, nothing that ever really blossomed or took off. But in solving my own problems and my other businesses, I got into database design. And actually, I got a degree from Ohio State University, the Ohio State University in comparative religion. But I started out in computer science and was very close to a degree in computer science when I took my first comparative religion class <laughs> and then having a taste of something that I was truly passionate about. I was like, oh, never mind. And dropped out of computer science, much to my family's chagrin. And <laughs> But it, everything's worked out, you know, yeah. and I have no regrets by a million times. Best thing I ever did. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. We were talking about Ohm Systems, so let's talk about how that came to be. So solving problems for myself in Trident, I have all these ideas that people submit, you know, hundreds of ideas every year. And like, where do we keep track of them? So we'd use spreadsheets. And then I started a training company, Next Level Trainings, where we do personal transformation trainings, which also took off. And uh, Next Level Trainings had rosters of students and we needed to keep track of all those students moving around. And so in order to solve both those problems, you know, I learned about databases. And one of my very good friends, who's my co-founder at Ohm Systems, his name's Tanner Clayton. He's my best friend from high school. And we went to guitar building school together. I mentioned that he was like mm-hmm. my, my buddy there. And so he um, would, got it, had gotten in, after his stint as a guitar builder, got into web design and then mobile app development and developed apps for people like Nickelodeon and DreamWorks kind of in the early days of mobile apps, these storybook apps, and had quite a few years of experience doing that. So when I started having these challenges, I turned to him and said, hey, man, can you help me solve these? And so he built the database to help me track all this information. And that's how uh, it got started. So we started a little business called Brass Tax, doing these database applications for other people too, because I saw that the SaaS business model, having spent years and years as an entrepreneur pursuing some very difficult business models, like being an industrial design studio for 10 years as the primary business, like being a design studio of any kind of studio, by the way, this is a very difficult business model. Mm-hmm. No recurring revenue, your hunting. Physical product. Yeah. Oh. Inventory. Inventory. So God, we're doing, I hate inventory. There were so many challenges <laughs> to that business. And I heard someone giving a talk one day about SaaS and he's like, SaaS is the perfect business model because it's digital, automatic, recurring, evergreen, and scalable. And I was like, he's right. <laughs> Every buzzword on earth. <laughs> he's <but>. like, <laughs> he's right. It's the perfect business model. I got it. Uh, it was a, a guy named Rory Vaden. Some, uh, he's a marketing influencer I heard at the Summit of Greatness. And so I was like, he's right. You know, I, I should come up with a SaaS model. And I was like, wait a second. This little side business I do with brass tacks is, is that. Mm-hmm. I should focus more energy there. Right. Right. And so I started focusing more energy there with Tanner. And it started going along and getting bigger and, and doing well. And we had some nice recurring revenue gathering as we were doing these applications to manage training programs and sales support for a large insurance agency, different, different applications. And then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we were like right away saw that, oh, wow, there's going to be, you know, I heard about tracing. And then we were having a conversation with another one of our friends, a guy named uh, Javad Kehani, Dr. Kehani, who was my roommate at Ohio State University, one of my mutual friend of ours, who's a doctor and had been an infection control agent. And so we're talking about at the very beginning of this pandemic, what it's going to be all about. And he's like, yeah, there's this thing, contact tracing, where people are going to be calling and tracking all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he explained it to us. And we're like, oh, wow, this sounds like this networking app we just built. We could make a tracing app. 
not a GPS tracking type of thing, but a way to keep track of all these communications, basically a CRM. Mm -hmm. And so in two weeks, we were able to bust something out. We called it Speed Tracer and we put it up on our Facebook page and it was more like, hey, look what we did. You know, look what we did. We can do stuff really fast. And hopefully this can help. And the pandemic at that time was like a novelty. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, cool. It's like, there's a pandemic. We can help. And it hadn't sunk in yet how serious it was. But we got this thing out and we thought we would be able to help. Well, the next day, someone we went to high school with reached out to us. He's like, I work at Adobe where you saw your software. We'd be interested to talk. Hmm. And we're like, whoa, that was, whoa. And then then, like two days later, we had a conversation with six people from Adobe. And we're like, whoa, we're on, and there's something going on here. And so we started putting a lot of effort into it. Adobe disappeared. They ghosted us, never heard from them again. That's fine. They're a big company. We were like Chris and Tanner. But over time, it grew. More and more people got interested. The product evolved. We got some people on board as like betas and pilots and started building a, a little base. And then people, more people joined the team. We got a CIO who's an information security expert. And he brought in with him his sister, who happened to be a patent attorney. So we got a patent attorney as our COO. And these two joined our team and more and more people started gathering around it. And mm-hmm. then we went through a business accelerator called the Breakthrough Accelerator, which we just finished a few weeks ago, which during which they coached us through the process of getting ready for investment, mm-hmm. moving through that process. And we're in the middle of closing a seed round, 300 grand for home systems. And what, what's the plan for that money? Product development and product sales. Product development and sales. There you product go. Product development and sales. Well, I've, uh, I've heard there are two types of problems in business, sales problems and all the other types. So mm-hmm. now we're going to go after the sales problems. And then mm-hmm. here's the thing uh, about what's happened with the product is it started off as a covid tracking solution. And then we got into these betas and, but as also, as we're pushing it out, we encountered people having it like, well, the pandemic's a hoax or then the pandemic. Now we're too busy dealing. It wasn't a hoax after all. Now we're too busy to deal with software. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now, now the pandemic's going away. Oh, never mind, It's not going away. It's back. Now we're too busy again. So it, you know, as we're pushing out, plus we're still, you know, a, a small entity, mm-hmm. but the people that we did have on board, what they kept saying is, wow, can it do this too? We'd love your software. Why is it so much better than any other software we've used? Can it do this? We built this out on Microsoft Dynamics. We built this out on Salesforce. Can it do this? Or we'd like to have it do this because it would be too complicated and expensive to have our own internal team do it because of how quickly we can do it because it's built using low-code application platforms. Mm -hmm. So it's like we can move very quickly. And so it evolved beyond COVID and became something broader than that and continues to evolve as kind of a multi-purpose business operating system that covers basically all your basic ground of people management, team management, sales management, and project management in one product instead of- So what would be an application outside of COVID that you're, that you're exploring, like a, like a specific scenario or whatever? Yeah. So like people management. So it started off with, we got rosters of people, right? So we can track their absences. Well, mm-hmm. we can track absences for any reason, not just COVID when they're gone, why they're gone, when they're expected back. If it's COVID, we can track vaccinations or test results and things like that as well as as anyone they've exposed and create automatic emails and templated emails or texts that reach out to those people. And then there's apps that can communicate. But even if it's not that, anyone out for any purpose, pregnancy, vacation, any reason at all, we can track that. So now it's an absentee tracker. Someone's out and they're out sick, or for whatever reason, they need to be replaced. Now we've got to figure out who's available and who's got the right skills. Because if you've got different people with different certifications, you can't just throw anyone on the fryer if it's a shift mm-hmm. at a restaurant or anyone on a particular machine if they don't have the right certifications or training or qualifications. So we have the ability now to track everyone's skills so we can identify the proper replacements. Well, if we're tracking their skills now, 
we have the ability to track their development through training processes. So we know what certifications. So it becomes this whole people management where we're tracking everything about those people. Mm hmm their development through any training programs, et cetera. And then also if they have assets, computers, keys, things like that, where, where do you keep track of it? So there's a lot of data around employees that, you know, we have HRIS systems, human resources, information systems, which tends to be around payroll and mm -hmm. benefits, but there's tons of other data that is handled a lot of it ad hoc by spreadsheets. And so there's a lot of stuff that's just not being handled or it's being handled poorly as a subset of some of these bigger point solutions made by big software, stuff like Salesforce and ADP that people frankly hate to use. And they famously hated the big software solutions largely because of how difficult they are to roll out. But then once they're out, they're, they're clunky. So people resort to workarounds mm -hmm. using things like spreadsheets, which are then siloed information and in separate systems. And everyone's making up their own thing and using their own stuff. Meanwhile, not using the software that you just spent millions of dollars on. So we're like creating a solution that kind of provides what you need, the 20% of what you really need at you know 20% of the price mm -hmm. and easy to use and rolling out quickly and easy to adapt. So it's a solution for small to mid-sized businesses. Giant companies can work with SAP because they're- right. They're they've giant. got the scale yeah. and they've got the number of people that they've got the hundred tech people to go and roll that out and make sure that everybody knows how to use it. And it's it, SAP is a whole, I mean, it's a, it's a thing. But like the, th like the example of, like I say, our customers loving the software and saying, could it do more? Our McDonald's. So we have a, one of our customers is a Ison family restaurants in Southern Ohio, Cincinnati area. They own 18 McDonald's. And so they rolled it out to handle their COVID situation because you know, when it, at its peak, it was like many things requiring some communications and they were, you know, running it all in spreadsheets. And then there was lots of coordination between the managers at different restaurants and all the people needing to know what they needed to know. So they said yes on a Wednesday, got us their CSV file that night. And then on Thursday, it was up and running. We That's made, a quick turnaround. Yeah we, yeah, we made plans with them to meet with them on Monday to train them. And on Monday, they'd been using it all weekend and already had figured out how to use it and were using it just fine and asked nice. us for a couple of pieces of advice. And she was like, that was the best experience I've had with a software rollout like literally ever. And then she joined her board of advisors. You know, she's like our number one champion Nice, because now it's added tons more functionality to support people running chains. I went through a new CRM option uh, last night and I didn't know what, it, what I was doing. And I closed it very quickly because of that, that exact, I was just like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like learning this right now. It's just overwhelming. There's so much. I was like, I know what I want it to do, but it was just, mm -hmm. I was just like, Ugh. And I haven't opened it since. <laughs> All right. Well, hit me up. It's something, yeah, I got so, a solution. Yeah. And it's so easy to use. With no training, you could start using it tomorrow. That's it's what I like to hear. Something that's really difficult with, with software programs is like there's this dichotomy between the complexity of the solution and the ease of use, right? So if you have a very complex business case, it's hard to find something that's going to be easy to use for your team and your staff. It, that That's based on top-down construction where you mm -hmm. have a complex business case. So you take incredibly complex software that can be adapted, then pared down to handle what you need inside of it. But you create this infinitely complicated, powerful software versus building up to build exactly what you need for your specific case, therefore simplifying complex processes. So what we've done is like kind of a ground up, you got a core, real simple product, and then you can adapt it and customize it for specific business cases to do exactly what you need it and how you need it. And because it's so flexible and simple to adapt, some of the changes can be made within like literally on a phone call. Someone's like, I wish it showed this. And we're like, hit refresh, right? That's a possible thing. That's awesome. But it's usually, you know, within a couple of days, though, some things, you know, are easy to say and hard to do and take months or years because 
some things are still complex, but a lot of stuff turns out to be very easy. Most people are not used to software being able to be that adaptable. Or if you're going to have custom software like that, you're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and it takes months and years as opposed to overnight. Mm -hmm. And so it creates a whole new relationship with the software where people can say, I wish it did this. And then a couple of days later, it does that. And then like, okay, well, actually a little over here and like a little to the left, a little, okay, okay, just right. Now I wish it did this. And slowly over time evolve into the thing that makes the workflow of any particular process dialed in super smoothly and so that it's almost transparent. And so, you know, like with the, with the COVID solution, it's like so easy to use. It feels like there's nothing there mm -hmm. and it cuts the work time in half or more for the people who are adapting it. So, and we're trying to bring that same level of ease of use to CRM and project management and team communication. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. So have you, have you found like your ICP yet? Your, you know, your ideal customer profile? Do you know this type of, you said small to medium-sized businesses, but is there any, does industry matter? Does you know, technology they're using matter? Like what, if you were going to say, hey, this is my ideal customer, what would you say? Well, you know, we've, we found a few attractive markets. We're mm -hmm. still very young and looking for right. our, our perfect product market fit, though chains, franchises like McDonald's are very attractive because uh, as we're getting started, we're looking for what we call like veins of gold instead of nuggets of gold. Mm -hmm. Because if we get really in good with one McDonald's franchisee who owns 18 McDonald's then she knows other people and she's well connected. And if it takes off with a few larger ones, then it can take off in a co-op where there's 500 stores. And so now you're, you know, and if you get one co-op, well, there's dozens of co-ops and pretty soon you get multiple co-ops and it can turn into a, a, an explosion. So we're looking for ideally markets like that. And so that would be one that we've identified as really attractive where there's also, we're very aware of certain needs that aren't being met in that industry because of that client there. And then also one of our other investors and advisors is a guy who's got incredible amounts of experience in the franchise world and the co-op world. And so um, that's one of our ideal markets. Also, we've had great success with a large, you know, a medium-sized manufacturer running multiple factory type situations. Mm -hmm. So shift work yeah. in particular, and you know, where there's a lot of data moving around. Mm -hmm. Here at FMX, which is the office we're sitting in right now, we're a CMMS company. So we do computerized maintenance management software. And that's one of the hardest things to get right is shift management of people where you've got, okay, I've got, you know, three guys on this shift, three guys on second shift, three guys on third shift. And I need to know who's going to be where and when and what they can do and when they can do it and what, 
right? Like all this stuff that goes into that. And then who knows out, how to do what? Right. And then you get this work order. You're like, oh, who do I give this to? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I believe it. If you're solving some of those challenges when it comes to like certifications and people management, I mean, that is a big piece of the operation for a lot of people. And it's fundamentally important because if someone doesn't have the right certification, they do work and get hurt. That's a huge liability. Right. You know, there's a CYAS aspect to it, just keeping track of information in case you need it later. So much of the stuff right now is kept in email streams and so much of stuff is kept in spreadsheets. And it's also not as secure. Like the spreadsheet itself may be as secure as Google Docs is, but like, where's that password? How's it being handled? You know, it's like just somewhere, wherever. On Does your- that person ever leave their computer open? <laughs> like- right. So like, it's just, it's a more secure, more con- controlled environment. And it's, uh, you know, it just, brings everything into one spot. So, you know, we, we, we think there's a, a big opportunity to create something that's just slick and elegant because when I started all my businesses, I've always been like, well, I got to get this and this and this, and I'm p- piecing all these things together, having to learn them all. Each one of them is individually difficult and each one of them has its own way of doing things. Why not one piece of software that can do the basics for any business mm-hmm. and then be customized for yours? Have you had any pushback from people, you know, that being tracked ideal, you know? I mean, people say people say I don't want to be tracked, but they use it an iPhone, obviously. But have you had that be a negative side with of a, it with a COVID piece? Yeah, as far as tracing and stuff, Th- there's no tracking or tracing. Oh, okay, like you- literally, all it is is a communication tool that allows. Okay, I know you know Tim uh, came in. He reported that he wasn't feeling well, so we can put that in a database and we can gotcha. send him an email, and that email is now on his profile, so we know that we communicated with Tim and told him to stay home today, right? Gotcha. And then he got a test, and this is what's going on. So it's literally not. To answer your question, one of the you know early things we did is change the name from Speed Tracer to Ohm System because, because of that. people were thinking speed tracing meant it had to do with uh, tracing GPS, and that was getting a lot of negative press yeah. for good, you know, because to our American sensibilities, that's creepy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to a lot of people, they're like, oh, great, you know. Even though like, Apple knows me every second, every day, right. knows yeah. exactly. The, the one thing that I did get creeped out about, about Apple, completely random tangent here, but whenever I get in my car and it's like seven minutes till home because it knows that right. this is the time that I go home and you're getting in your car. And I'm like, stop doing that. I don't so, like that. <laughs> you know me too well. Didn't, I, didn't look, we talk you can about- track me, but don't let me know <laughs> that you're tracking me. <laughs> didn't we talk about that on this this podcast about the uh, like Target or whomever was sending pregnancy information to people based right. on their purchases that didn't even know they were pregnant? Because they like, had like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They had to, like, like, we noticed back. your pickle intake is gone. <laughs> yeah, they were literally sending and they were, and there's like, I remember the story that broke was a guy was like, stop sending my daughter this. And then she was like, well, actually dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) They were like, we're going to go ahead and turn that down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. They, well, they can, who knows what they know. They, they, because, you you know, they can tell when you are scrolling through stuff on Facebook if you slow down. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't even have to click on it. They know that you slowed down. You slowed down. I'm okay with if you're, if you're marketing stuff to me that I want, I'm Mm -hmm. okay with it. Mm -hmm. I was talking about that today. It's like, I, like, there's, well, that's the theory behind why we would give them that permission. Mm -hmm. Right. But tell me how to buy the thing I need in the most efficient way. Then and you I'm start okay getting into that. that social network stuff where they're talking about like, well, yeah, but did you really want that? Or did you slowly get tricked into wanting that thing? I got to wash my clothes. And I need to turn the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. that right, wanted. Did the algorithm turn your brain into thinking that it wanted that? Maybe. Oh my gosh. It keeps my clothes. Have you guys clean. read the book Sapiens? 
Sapiens. I Sapiens. recognize the name, right? But uh, Johan Hariri. I may have. He's he's a uh, Israeli guy. Oh my gosh, super. I mean, he's it's a, it's in the end, it gets a little bit, you know, very slightly political. But the book is amazingly interesting, and he talks about you know the history of uh, humanity, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning. And then he has a second book, Homo Deus, which I just recently listened to, which is you know he's definitely got a a point of view. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes it known. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not like holding back on it, and yet the the book is infinitely fascinating. I recommend it to everyone as just a thought provoking, especially sapiens, just like. That's interesting. I'm rereading uh, Delivering Happiness right now. Not oh. related, but um, from Zappos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rest Tardis. in peace. Say, yeah. He passed away recently. Yeah. But that that's one of the best stories of someone who got it. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It has nothing to do with, it's not that deep. What, I, there's a story in there about where someone drunk called their customer service. Mm-hmm. And instead of getting mad, he was trying to order pizza. And so the, the person for the shoe company helped the drunk guy order pizza. <laughs> right. And they were like stoked and it was like great press and everything. It's just kind of like, not that the customer is always right, but it's just about how do you deliver and help people find what they need right. versus trying to, it applies to sales and customer service and well, apps and everything. It's it's helping people like determine what it what is it that will be a win for you and how do I help well, you? And, get and that Homo win? Deus he talks about how the algorithms will, you know, eventually become so perfect you would be insane not to listen to its advice about mm-hmm. who you should marry. Right. But, you know, like because <laughs> the this algorithm person, knows you better than you. Right. And mm-hmm. then it's like at what point do we stop being you know, so it's really just like he I, I'm not even totally clear in the end or that he's totally clear about how he feels about these things. <laughs> he's just like, Yeah, these are some things that we need to really think about because mm-hmm. at what point are we and he's like, and it seems far-fetched, but, you know, Google is just an idea that we've turned into an entity. You know, the algorithms become entities and the whole thing's uh, super fascinating. That's interesting. On the, on the Tony Shea point in Zappos book, I, you know, one thing I do want to mention, because I, I know that book and read it a couple of times. And one of my more important lessons, you know, I, I found that book to be, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But the last chapter about poker gave me one of my most important life lessons. And I quote it all the time because it's, you know, I've read many, many books, but his lesson there is so much of winning life is is waiting to hand, to play the hands that you can win. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, he said, most people lose poker because they want to play poker. Right, they play every hand. They Well, they want to play every yeah. hand because they want to play poker instead of they want to win poker. Mm-hmm. And so they play hands they shouldn't be playing and instead of being selective, and then they burn up all their money on losing hands. And so- mm-hmm. I think that's an important one. Like, and as an innovator and as an inventor, you know, I have zillions of ideas go through my brain, zillions of ideas presented to me. And so it's like, well, which, if you pursue them all, Mm -hmm. then you, well, you can't, you're going to like have your bandwidth taken up pretty quickly. And and so like saving it for the ones where you have that big shot. And so to circle it back to home system, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I've had a very long entrepreneurial career Mm -hmm. and all my businesses have been like lifestyle businesses, like really nice ones. You know, I've made a, I've had a, a fine living and a super fun, fascinating career to me. Like I'm fascinated by my own, like the, the <laughs> interesting stuff. I'm like, wow, I've done, I've had some super fun, interesting things. And they've been small companies and, and small opportunities in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think 10, 15 employee type businesses and uh, Ohm Systems is exciting because it's definitely the first opportunity we've had to go after something, you know, that I've had, that I've come up with, that I've been part of sourcing that has the opportunity to be uh, something bigger and something significant and employ, you know, lots of people and generate a, a big win. So I'm really excited about it. It's Ohio company yeah. right here in yeah. Columbus and, you know, Good my place to be partners in uh, Cleveland and Perrysburg and a lot of our investors out of Cincinnati and, uh, and the rest of Ohio and, and here and there as well. But we're making a play here. I'm excited about it. We're just getting started.
What what are the long-term goals? Do you have a vision of building it until IPO? Do you have a vision? I mean, do you even know what you want to do that long-term yet? I mean, I you know, we're, we're more like, let's do an acquisition than mm-hmm. an IPO. Mm-hmm. I think uh, as our vision, mm-hmm. that seems like a shorter path and right. a more <laughs> sure path and cleaner path. So, yeah. but yeah, we'd, lo- we'd love to find a partner who sees the potential. We call our solution, by the way, Ohm system is the name, but we call the, the generic term for it small software, mm-hmm. right? And uh, opposition to big software. Mm-hmm. So small software we see as, as a big opportunity. And I think our long-term vision is that one of those big software people would see that big opportunity and snap us up in, yeah. in a few years as we're Pay hockey big money. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get that hockey stick growth going. That's right. Yeah. And that's and, and it's the right market and it's that SaaS model of, with the recurring revenue. And, and once someone starts using it, it becomes like this, you know, nervous system. It's real hard to stop using it. And why would you want to, if it's so much less expensive and easier to use than anything you've used before we catch on, then we'll uh, let someone else carry it forward. And unless it makes sense to keep going, you know, I'm open. I'm it's open. A nicotine business is what we call it. Uh, my buddy and I, uh, he knows Joel really well. Yeah. Uh, he's also my high school best friend. It's the best way to start a business, find a high school best friend and just work with him forever. <laughs> but we always joked, we've sold, you know, a billion t-shirts over time, but you have to sell a new one. And we Joel were like, designed this shirt. I'm wearing, yeah. I actually uh, almost only wear shirts designed <laughs> by Joel. We were talking about how cigarettes are such an easy sell. You just get them one and then they're addicted. We were like, mm-hmm. what if we could just put nicotine in our shirts? That way they had to keep buying them and keep buying them. But that's, that's the what idea. you did to me. Yep. Like, <laughs> Nick, you patches in the shirts. You were our test. No, I but, was like their number one fan. Problem with that is you'd wash it and then the nicotine patch would never. never this mind. wasn't we're, science. We're taking things yeah. too seriously. Yeah. But, but if you can find a thing like that, that that it's not that you want to get people addicted to it like drugs, but if you can find something that they can't live without or it makes their life so easy, they keep coming back for more. That was mm. something we learned with it's value proposition. Coca Cola had that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah originally a little <laughs> cocaine in there, but but yeah, that's an inside joke for us. Is like we call it a cocaine or uh, sorry, not cocaine, <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> a nicotine business uh, or a nicotine prop. When we you find not, something that you can. For the record, we are not encouraging anybody out there to do drugs. <laughs> we do not support drugs. Be responsible and yeah. healthy and healthy and safe. Yeah, mm. if, you, if you find t-shirts with nicotine in them, then that was us. Right. <laughs> Make sure you report it. <laughs> Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or think anything. so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yeah. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's man, what I was going to say. As soon oh. as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best... We're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They do still whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, their story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I All promise right. you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. 
Well, moving towards our last question of the show, Chris, and it's been great talking to you. Uh, I've really enjoyed it so far, but our last question is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus. And that Mm -hmm. theme is live uncomfortably. Oh yeah. So without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a show that focuses on interviewing entrepreneurs, business leaders, some of the most successful people in Columbus, what do you think of when you hear it? How's it apply to your life and career? All right. So one of the tenets or pillars of leadership. So I do next level trainings is leadership training and my, my business. And one of our pillars of leadership is risk. And it's uh, leaders are comfortable being uncomfortable. But the highest evolution of that is actually when you get to the point where you become uncomfortable being comfortable. And so what that means is like you get to a spot because uh, whenever you're outside of your comfort zone, anytime you're learning anything new, it means you're outside of your comfort zone. Like you, by definition, it's outside of your comfort zone if it's new. And so if you're always outside of your comfort zone, you're always taking new ground. And so how does it apply for my life? It's, it's basically like my philosophy has been my whole life is like constantly pushing the edges, pushing the limits, pushing the boundaries. For me, that's not been um, pushing the boundaries of like physical danger, right? Some people get into that adrenaline type thing. For me, it's been, it's more uh, living my life beautifully. Entrepreneurialism being one, one facet and just one of the facets where I've been exploring that of being uncomfortable and just constantly pushing myself out of my comfort zone um, because a comfort zone once expanded never returns to its former dimensions. I think that's a great quote to end with, Chris. And thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. My pleasure, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope everybody enjoyed that episode. If you did, leave us a like. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on so that you can get interviews like this every week with some of the greatest people in Columbus. With that, we'll talk to you next week. San Diego. San Diego.